Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you, folk. And uh, I'm glad we're moving closer and closer to the warm weather. And in the meantime, we have the Word of God to warm us up. So uh, why don't we take a minute? Let's stretch just a minute, if you can, just to kind of loosen you up physically. And uh, you can use that to lift your hands to the Lord and worship. Uh, But the most important thing is uh, let's gather together. Let's pray. And let's ask the Lord to move upon the Word and make it living and alive to our spirits. Well, Father, we thank you that we could gather as your church, as your people this morning, Lord, <clears throat> to feed upon your word. We know that we eat physical food, Lord, to strengthen our physical body. But Father, we thank you for your word to strengthen our spirits and to be able to keep them strong. So Holy Spirit, we know you're the great teacher. We pray that you would take these words, you'd imprint them upon our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would highlight to each of us the specific part of the verses that that we need to listen to specifically and apply in our lives. So, Lord, we give you the time. We thank you for touching us. And it's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's launch out Matthew 24 and verse 15 to 35. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of, through uh, Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to get the things out of that are in his house. Let him who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are with child, and to those who nurse babes in those days. But pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days shall be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I've told you in advance. If, therefore, they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go forth. Or, Behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpses be, there the vultures will gather. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. 
and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Now learn the parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Amen. Okay, uh, let's jump in. So as we're looking at Matthew 24, we are looking truly at the end times as God is beginning to wrap everything up. And what's interesting uh, in regards to the end times, there's a verse, uh, and I'm going to give you a lot of verses today. So if you want to jot these verses down, you can, and then maybe uh, study them and meditate on them later. But it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 4, you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day of the Lord shall overtake you like a thief. What Paul is saying there is, when Christ comes back, we should not be surprised. And why aren't we surprised? Because there are definite signs that God has said us. These things have to happen before, literally, Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom on the earth. So that's where we're going to look at it today, the signs of his coming, you might say. And I, I am not going to start on 15 because that just kind of is halfway to the action. So I'm going to try to move quickly, but I want to start right in the beginning so we get the context of 15 to 35. So the context is this. If you look at 24.1, and Jesus came out from the temple, was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And Jesus answered, he said to them, uh, do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here shall be left upon another, which will not be torn down. And I'm sure the disciples are scratching their heads saying, well, that, that Lord, you're saying some pretty heavy stuff here, which cues them in, in a sense, uh, to the next question. Verse three, and as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? In other words, this thing where the temple is going to be all upset. And he goes a little bit further. And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Now, what they're expecting is that Jesus is the Messiah. And there's going to come a time where he's going to overthrow Rome and establish his heavenly kingdom on the earth. That's their mindset. Uh, but Jesus redirects them and he begins to say hey uh, what you're thinking is not the way I'm thinking and I'm going to tell you how it's going to play out before I come uh, and not just reach the Jews but reach all of mankind so here are the signs look at four and Jesus said to them see that no one misleads you uh, and he says okay you want to know some of the signs that I'm coming back uh, he says five 
For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And he repeats that on verse 11. And many false prophets will arise and will mislead, I'm sorry, will mislead many. So first thing, people are going to be deceived in the end times and go after the wrong things. Verse 6, and you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars that you are not to be frightened for those things must take place for that is not yet the end. So again, he's saying, as we go, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. In other words, there's gonna be wars right coming to the end of time. And he, he says that in a sense, repeats it in verse seven, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. In various places, there will be famines and earthquakes. So the earth is gonna to begin to be shaken uh, in pretty violent ways. Verse eight, but all these things are merely the beginning of the birth bank. So he says, when these things happen, we're getting close, but we're not at the end. Verse nine, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. So he's saying that at the end, there's going to be persecution to be a Christian. It's going to cost something in the end times to say, Jesus is my Lord. And he says, because of that persecution, look at 10. And at that time, many will fall away and will deliver up one another and hate one another. So people are going to fall away because it's going to cost something and you might be martyred. So many people that say they're Christians are, are just kind of in for the ride. But when the pressure comes and when the real commitment level is tested, they get out of the way and they leave. Verse 12. And because lawlessness has increased, most people's love will grow cold. So he's basically saying, again, at the end time, society is kind of going to go down the pits and there'll be lawlessness. Everybody will do what they want and things will look really scattered. And he says, basically, people's love, even as Christians, are going to grow cold because the pressure's on and the passion and the love of Christ will begin to diminish because, again, this tremendous persecution that will be coming upon the church. Verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And here's another major sign before Jesus comes. Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world for a witness to all the nations, then the end will come. So the gospel has to reach to the very ends of the earth, to the people groups that are way out there that need to hear the gospel. Now we actually pick up the scriptures that we're starting with today. We're talking here pretty much toward the end of the end before Jesus comes. Therefore, Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through, I'll turn the page here. Okay, through the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Okay, what is the statement, the abomination of desolation? Well, it can mean one of three things. The temple, the Jewish 
synagogue, the temple where the Jews came together, basically uh, has been desecrated two times in history. And there will be one time it will be desecrated at the very end. So <clears throat> in 170 BC, Antiochus IV of Greece desecrated the Jewish temple and he set up an idol of Zeus in it. So number one, historically, uh, this has happened in the past. Uh, for the Jews, even at that day, it had happened in their past. The second time in 70 AD, Titus, the Roman general, burned the temple and he set up an idol to mock the Jews. So that's two times the temple has been desecrated. But the reference here, the abomination of desolation, really is describing at the end times, the Antichrist is going to come and he is going to set himself up in the temple, meaning the temple has to be rebuilt. Uh, my wife, Kathy, just went over to Israel and went over and saw right there where the temple is supposedly is the Dome of the Rock for the Arabs. So somehow, some way, a temple needs to be reconstructed. And it's interesting, uh, there is some news that over in Israel, the materials ready for that temple are there. They're waiting to be put up. How that all plays out, I've heard somebody say that the temple is not right where the Dome of the Rock is, but it's near that vicinity. We don't know, but somehow a temple has to be rebuilt. And then I'm going to give you, as I said, a bundle of scriptures here uh, in regards to this. It says in Second Thessalonians, and this is chapter 2. And if you look at uh, verses 3 and 4, I'm going to just read these. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will come... Uh, it, he will not come unless the apostasy comes first, meaning the falling away. We've said that, that, that there's going to be a falling away of the church because of persecution. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. The man of lawlessness is the Antichrist. Verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So somewhere at the very end, the Antichrist will come in a human form and come into this reconstructed temple and proclaim that literally he is God. So that's kind of where we're going when it says the, uh, the abomination of desolation. It's predicting, again, the Antichrist that would be coming. So if we go a little bit further here, uh, if you look at verse 16, so when this occurs, now, again, there's debate on this. Some people say this next statement is actually when Rome burnt the temple, and because of that, people fleed. And we do know historically uh, that when the temple was destroyed and the Romans came in, that a number of the Jews uh, and Christians fled to Petra. 
they ran out to protect their lives. So in a sense, there could have been a fulfillment in that generation that was coming shortly after Jesus' death, that this could have been actually a historical event then. But it also projects toward the end of time simultaneously. So it says when the Antichrist is coming, it says, verse 16, then let those who are in the Judea flee to the mountains, let whom who is on the housetop not go down to get the things out that are in his house. Let him who is in the field not turn back to get the cloak. In other words, when this persecution is so intense, get out, get out quickly, because if you don't, and I think the end times, the Antichrist is going to persecute Christians, hunt them down and kill them. So it's basically saying, run as quick as you can. And uh, in regards to this getting out quickly, um, it says 19, but woe to those who are with child and those who nurse babes in those days. In other words, uh, you, to have a little child and have a newborn at this point, man, that's the last thing you need when you're trying to flee from an enemy. So hopefully this ha doesn't happen when you're pregnant or you're delivering uh, 20, but pray that your flight may not be in winter or in the Sabbath. <clears throat> Again, if you're trying to get out quickly and the weather's terrible in winter, it's going to prohibit your getting out quickly. And on a Sabbath, the Jews were only allowed to go a certain amount of space. They couldn't go too far. So on the Sabbath, they'd have to break the law uh, to be able to get out. So am I going to keep the Sabbath or am I going to flee from my life? So basically, hopefully, those things are not going to get in the way. 21. But then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now. So a great tribulation uh, is really going to be very, very bad. It says right here, it's the, it's the hardest thing uh, that has ever occurred in human history. And from what we can see, again, you have to piece a lot of these things together from other parts of the Bible. That's why we need an overview of the entire Bible. If you see one little spot, you don't know how all the different pieces of the puzzle begin to fit. So we need to be scholars of the entire word. And then you can begin to see, okay, this is how this fit. This is how that dot is connected to another dot. So what it's saying, toward the end, there's going to be a great tribulation. We know as we look at the entire Bible, uh, the Antichrist is going to come and he's going to call the shots for three and a half years. He's going to make a covenant with Israel. After three and a half years, he's going to break the covenant with Israel. And we see a lot of that in the book of Daniel. And again, when this occurs, we know Jesus is right around the corner at that point. <clears throat> Look at verse 22. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. For the sake of the elect, those days shall be cut short. In other words, the Antichrist is going to be on a rampage. And he is going to try to wipe out any semblance of Jesus in Christians on the earth. And if he was given too much time, he'd, he'd hunt down every single Christian and have them honored. But it's saying here, uh, God's going to cut short those days. So there will be some that will be spared martyrdom. 
Verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here is Christ, or there he is, don't believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. <laughs> so we know the Antichrist is going to show signs and wonders. Uh, let me just give you another scripture here. It's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And verse 9, uh, referring to the Antichrist, that is, the one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders. And if you look at the book of Revelation, you'll see that the Antichrist can come and do these, all these wonders. And, and like, oh, well, if he, if he does this, some are going to fall for that and say, wow, he must, he must be the ultimate Messiah because, look, he's doing these miracles. But they're satanic miracles. <clears throat> so Jesus is warning them. Guess what? I'm letting you know ahead of time so you don't fall prey to this stuff. There's going to be false activity. And we saw that earlier on in the chapter. There's going to be people misleading you. And in some cases, uh, there may also be signs and wonders. But don't be fooled. That's what I hear Jesus saying, red flag waving. Don't be fooled. I'm telling you. This is going to happen. And he said that in verse 25, behold, I've told you in advance. In other words, I want you to be prepared. I don't want the day of the Lord, my second coming, to come as a big surprise. I'm telling you, you've got to watch for these signs. And when they begin to come in alignment, no, I am right around the door. Okay, a little further here. 26, so therefore they say to you, behold, he is in the wilderness. Do not go forth, or behold, he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So what he's saying, it's going to be obvious. Somebody's not got to tell you, well, you got to go out there somewhere, or there's a hidden place. No, he said the entire world's going to get it. Now, how this is going to happen worldwide simultaneously, I don't know. Some people said because we have media now and we can track anything in the world at a moment's notice, uh, who knows, maybe in media in one part of the world, they're going to see it and it's going to be publicized. I don't know. To me, I think it would be, probably be a bigger deal than that. And I think we'll see what I think that could well be. But he makes a statement in 28, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures were gathered. In other words, Jesus is saying, it's going to be so obvious because when you see vultures, you know somewhere there's a carcass. Vultures are drawn to a carcass. So he's basically saying, my coming is going to be so obvious. It'll be so obvious because when you see vultures, you know there's carcass somewhere. So when these things come in place, there will be no doubt in anybody's mind Who's calling the shots? Okay, keep on. 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Now, what's interesting to me is Jesus is just not pulling this out, you know, okay, whoop, just, you know, I'm just throwing this out here. He's literally quoting scriptures way back in the old testament 
if you study the prophets, they have predicted a lot of things about Jesus, okay? They predicted where he would be born in Bethlehem. They predicted uh, that he'd be a suffering servant, that he would be suffering for the sins of the world. They predicted uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. All these scriptures are saying things about Jesus' life, but we got to know there's also scriptures in the Old Testament that talk about literally the coming of Jesus at the end of time. And Jesus said right here, uh, the heavens are going to be really shaken up. And let me give you a couple Old Testament scriptures, I think, that are kind of cool, that kind of predicted this is exactly going to happen. So uh, if you look at, and again, we don't have time to turn to all these, but just write them down. Isaiah 13, 9 and 10, it says this. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning with anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. Here is the verse. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will now flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises. The moon will not shed its light. Uh, there's another one, uh, Isaiah 34, and verse 4, it says this. And all the hosts of heaven will wear away. The sky will be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts will also wither away as a leaf withers from the vine or as one withers from the fig tree. And there's one other one. Let me give you Joel. Uh, Joel. And this is chapter. Let me get it here. Joel chapter 2. And if you look at verse 30. Uh, again, referring to the end times, I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awful day of the Lord. And then also uh, Joel 3.15, the sun and the moon will grow dark and the stars will lose their brightness. So there we are. Uh, Jesus is just quoting the Old Testament said it's going to happen. And Jesus says, by the way, I affirm what the Old Testament prophets said. This is going to happen and you can count on it. Okay, 30. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Okay, so do we have any scriptures here uh, that Jesus uses? Again, uh, if you look at the book of Daniel, Daniel is a very, very prophetic book. Daniel and the book of Revelation fit together uh, in a very unique way, uh, and they, they kind of complement each other. But coming on the clouds, if you look at Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13, uh, this is what Daniel saw. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, here it is, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. He came up to the Ancient of Days, that's God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him, Jesus was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples and nations and men uh, of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. 
So he's coming with the clouds. That's what Daniel predicts. Uh, and if you look at Revelation chapter 1, and that says, Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, behold, he's coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. So I don't, I don't think it's going to be by TV. Somehow around the entire world, people are going to see in the skies. And it says, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, amen. Okay. We're back to Matthew 24 again. So, uh, verse 31. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. So Jesus is saying the elect, those who have made a commitment to Christ, are going to be gathered and they're going to be taken to heaven. But it's interesting um, in that regard, Jesus told a, a number of parables uh, when he walked the earth. And uh, I just want to give you something here when it talks about gathering the elect. In Matthew chapter 13 and in verse uh, 30, he ties up something, but basically it's the parable of somebody that plants wheat and then somebody, an evil person, plants weeds with the, the wheat, and they're mixed. Uh, and then as Jesus ends the parable, he says, allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. And you say, okay, what's the parable? What's it mean? And Jesus interprets that parable and Matthew 13, verse 39, he says this, the enemy who sowed them, so the enemy is the one that sowed the weeds, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Therefore, just as the tares, the weeds are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all the stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. You know, it casts them into the furnace of fire, i.e. hell. And in that place, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. So in that parable, Jesus talks about there is a coming and a separation of everybody at the end of time. Uh, let me give you uh, just one more. Uh, it's in Matthew 13. And 47, uh, there's a, another parable, Jesus says. It's a parable of the dry net. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dry net cast into the sea, gathering fishing of every kind. When it was filled, they drew it up on the beach, and they sat down, and they gathered the good fish in the containers. But the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. Here it is. The angels shall come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous. And we'll cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus in number of parables says, at the end of time, God is going to separate genuine believers from unbelievers. Uh, and uh, going back to the Matthew 
24 again, uh, what he's saying here uh, in verse 31 is that the angels are going to literally separate between a genuine believer and unbelievers. Okay, 32. Now learn the parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So he's saying, if you look at nature, when the fig tree begins to be tender and leaves are coming, he's saying, okay, if you can see now, you know that's a sign that summer's around the corner. We can kind of see signs out there. Now I've, I have uh, daffodils that are coming up. It's a sign, hey, guess what? Summer's on its way. So Jesus says, just the way nature has a connector, when you see this, something else is going to happen. He says, 33, even so you too, when you see all the things, all the things that we've been talking, all these different signs, recognize that he, who, Jesus, the Messiah, is near right at the door. Okay. Then he says this. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And, you know, when you look at that, it's kind of like, what do you mean, Jesus? This generation, okay? He's talking to the disciples back then. And he's saying this generation will not pass away until these things take place. But guess what? That generation back there did pass away. And guess what? The second coming did not occur. So how do we make sense of this? Uh, basically, scholars say two things, and I would, I would vote for the second. The first would say this generation of Jews. In other words, the Jews are going to be along to the very end, that generation, that race, because I believe the generation can also, in a sense, be translated race, um, will not pass away. But I, I think a better understanding is when it says this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. In other words, when these signs occur, they're going to happen within a generation with a limited span of time. So when these happen, they're going to happen so quickly, it'll be in a generation or in a short period of time versus spread out of over hundreds of years. And he ends here 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. So Jesus is saying, guess what, disciples, you can count on this. And I think what he's saying, this is not just for the disciples back there when he was alive. He's saying, disciples of all time, what I've just told you will come to pass. There's no doubt. There's no ifs. There's no maybes. These signs will come to pass. And I believe If your ear is to the ground, I think many people feel we are getting very close to the end of the end. Uh, some of these signs that we've talked about have already occurred in our situation, uh, in our lifetime. And because of you look at the news and other things that are happening, these other things could begin to fall in place very, very quickly. So... We don't know. Nobody knows the exact day or time, but it's important, uh, I think, that we be ready. You know, it's like the idea, and I, I heard this story once, and it really hit me. 
And it was, um, what would you do right today if the soap ends and you hear a knock at the door, you look out the window and it's Jesus. What would be your reaction? And I like as the story went, the reaction of many people would be, oh my, I am in trouble. It's like, you know, some people, uh, they want to make sure their house is in order before somebody comes. So they go run, okay, I got to clean this. I got to do this. I got to start, you know, make my house nice and clean. So here's the challenge. If Jesus knocked at the door, are you ready now? Or would you have to change a lot of things in your life? Because you would be embarrassed if he came right now and found you and your life in the current state that it's in. I mean, this is a heavy duty question. So many people say, well, you know, I'll get my act together when. And you never know when the day is coming. You know, the second coming of Jesus is coming. But guess what? Your second coming could be tomorrow or it could be today. We could die. Any one of us, we're not promised tomorrow. We could literally die today. That's your second coming. It could be my second coming. So the real challenge of this, I think, is am I ready? Am I ready to meet the Lord if he came? Or do I have to go in my house and say, oh, my God, I, I, Lord, I got to clean that. Just hang on a minute. I, I got to change this. I got to change that. I got to get rid of this. I better add this. And we're running frantically, rearranging our life. And I think what I hear very clearly in the Bible is we should be living in such a way that if Jesus came to die, we're ready to say, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to go. I don't have to do any last minute things and get my act together. Uh, there's a scripture in 2 Peter, uh, and it's chapter 3, and verse 10, it says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people, get this, what sort of people ought you to be? Paul's saying, hey, He's coming and in preparing of his coming, what sort of people should you be? And he says this, uh, what sort of people ought to be in holy conduct and godliness? And he goes on in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Jesus in peace, spotless and blameless. Wow. That's heavy. Paul is saying, I'm sorry, I'm getting it wrong, not Paul, Peter. Peter's saying, basically, get your act together. Christ is coming. Be ready. If he came today, be ready. Have a life that's spotless and blameless. Not meaning that we're perfect, but we're not doing secret sins. We're not sitting, just doing our own thing, living a very carnal and worldly lifestyle. So I think that's really the challenge I see today. You know, we look at all the signs and people want, oh, let's predict exactly. And then there's people that have tried to predict, you know, Jesus is coming on this specific day and they get wound up on, you know, let's make sure we can predict when he's coming. The bigger issue is not specifically to find the day. The issue is, am I ready if he came today? Am I ready if my second coming is I die? today? Am I ready to face the Lord? Or do I have to be ashamed? Do I have to put my face down like this and say, oh, 
man, I, I messed up. So that would be my challenge, I think, to all of us. Number one, am I ready? Am I sure that I've made a genuine commitment to the Lord? Because people can say I'm a Christian, but they're not really a Christian. They've never really trusted him as Savior, nor have they acknowledged him as their Lord. So number one, if we've never made that commitment, don't wait. Now is the day, Paul says, of salvation. Now, make a commitment. And if we made the commitment, then seek to live a holy lifestyle, I hear Peter saying. And there's one last thing, I think, as we're waiting for the second coming. It says this in Mark 16, 15. Jesus said this, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Matthew put it a different way. Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. That's the bottom line. Make sure you're ready, but then let other people be ready. Go share the good news with people. Tell them of God's tremendous love. Tell them that he died on a cross for them personally. In a sense, tell them as the Lord leads that everybody's going to die. And guess what? We're going to be in one of two places, either heaven or hell. And make sure you're in the right spot. Wow, this is heavy duty stuff, folks. I think we could be very much at the end. And uh, let's prepare our hearts and let's get the word out. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for these scriptures. Lord, about your wrapping it all up. And Lord, that's going to be an amazing day when you come back, God. Wow, to see you face to face is going to blow us away. But Lord, in the meantime, uh, we pray, Lord that we would be living in such a way that we'd be pleasing to you, Lord. Uh, that when you've been prompting us to do things, Lord, that we don't keep saying, well, I'll get to it someday and, and postpone it. Lord, give us a good obedience so that when you ask us to do something, Lord, we're, we're on it. We're ready to do it. Uh, Lord, help us to live a holy lifestyle. We pray, Holy Spirit, you would search us. Lord, if there's stuff in our lives uh, that is not holy. Things that our conscience has been saying, you got to deal with this. Lord, help us to deal with it and help us to let your spirit just clean us up and fill us. And Father, we pray that you'd also give us a passion to share the good news, the gospel, that you love the world so much, Father, that you gave your son to put us back together again. Lord, give us the ability to share this good news. So others could hear it and have an opportunity to meet you as well. So, Lord, we thank you for this Bible study. Thank you for telling us what's going to happen before it happens. And it's in your holy and strong name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great day, folks. Come, Lord Jesus. That's the book of Revelation. May he come. God bless you all.